that uh, we'll be reading God's word, uh, Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17 through the end. A lot of exhortations, a lot of directions. It sounds like quite a to-do list if you come to it simply, but there's a deeper thread running here about why we should do these things and how we should do these things. So let us listen to God's word. Verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. Amen. Just a pre-introduction to my introduction. You may have noticed that we're not in the Gospel of Luke. We've jumped to Ephesians. And I've subtitled the the sermon, uh, In Appreciation of Preaching. Uh, And I am not looking for personal appreciation, but rather having just spent a week with 30 pastors. And next week I'm spending time with 90 pastors. And we're gathered here for Christian worship and preaching is a big part of that. I thought we would do well to see the connection between preaching and the Christian life between the proclamation of truth and the holding fast to truth and living in true righteousness. Here in our text, it seems to jump right off the page in verse 20. uh, We've learned Christ, we're taught in him, and that leads us to think about preaching in general. So the sermon isn't explicitly about preaching, but it will make those connections as we open this passage Perhaps you remember a few years ago, it was in the uh, 2000s, 2006 to 2009, a series of TV commercials. 
They were some of my best uh, favorite commercials, not just because I use Mac computers, but because they were very creative and lightheartening. You, you remember the Get a Mac campaign? It had actor John Hodgman, who played the role of a PC and a young beatnik-looking fellow at the time, Justin Long. And uh, all these commercials, there are over 20 of them, had the same template. Uh, the scene would be very plain, and then this uh, um, casual man would walk forward, kind of a hipster-looking guy, I guess that was the day, and he would say, hello, I'm a Mac. And then from the other side of the stage would come in this uh, white-collar guy in a suit and coat that didn't quite fit in his thick glasses, and he would say, I'm a PC. Do you, do you remember these series of commercials? And they would talk, and one would be relaxed, the other one would be anxious. Uh, Wikipedia describes it, that each brief vignette, they would talk about the capabilities and attributes of a Mac and a PC and the comparisons. And it was formal and polite, but sometimes there were tensions. And often Mr. PC was frustrated by the laid-back Mac's abilities. I'm thinking of that series because those two people, they, they knew who they were. As they grasped their abilities, either as a cool and productive, confident Mac, or the anxious, tension, tensious, and, and sometimes tedious, breaking down PC again, it was a biased commercial. As they understood that, they either had confidence in, in who they were or they didn't. As a Christian thinks about who he is in Christ. If we were to walk out in front of everyone and say, hello, I'm a Christian. Would the realities of what Christ has done for you give you that confidence to live with new abilities and new pursuits? I think Paul wants us to pursue all sorts of things that are righteous and upright and to do it together but he anchors it all on our identity we are Christians in Christ and we are in the church the body of Christ but let's take it slowly looking at the first couple verses here in Ephesians 4 17 18 19 Paul uh, gives this very direct uh, invitation talking about how we should live. He uses the word walk, and that's a common metaphor for the way you lived your daily life. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. We should live not that way, but this way. And he says something about minds and walking and this connection. The first thing we have to pick out from those verses is that we have to walk away from futile thinking and sinful living. Something has to stop with the way we think and the way we once lived. The church in Ephesus was a mixture of converted Jews and Gentiles, but mostly Gentiles. So this language would strike home. Don't live as Gentiles. Can we call these Ephesians Gentiles any longer? Hadn't Paul previously explained in chapter 2 uh, that they used to be Gentiles in the flesh, separated from Christ and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel 
they had no hope and they were without God. Doesn't he say now that in Jesus there is one new man instead of Jew and Gentile? By the grace of God and for his glory, these Gentiles were now Christians. That's their identity. You walk onto the stage of life no longer as a Gentile, but as a Christian. So stop thinking that way. That way was darkened. Turn back to chapter 2 for a quick refresher. And it's interesting that chapter 2 uses the metaphor of walk when it describes the previous way of life. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. And you, Christians in Ephesus, former Gentiles, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's your lifestyle, even though you were spiritually dead. And you were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's not good. And the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Oh boy, were we wayward. All we like sheep have gone astray. And Paul's not just railing on the Gentiles. You used to do this. What does he add at the climax in verse 3? among whom we all once lived. We lived for passion. We lived out the desires of the body and the mind, but our thinking was crooked and tainted and depraved. We didn't give God thanks or glory or recognize him. We lived, whether religiously or not, for ourselves. Don't think and live that way any longer. Here, back in chapter 4, verse 17, the Bible says, walk away. And he's saying it to Christians who live in the midst of a city of Gentiles who are still walking that way. You live in a world, especially in the northeast of the United States, North America, modern culture, that walks that way. And so God's word says to us, walk away from those lifestyles and thought patterns. How do we do that? Well, in the power of the gospel. We walk in the power of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 4 reminds us that all of the commands in the second half of the book. Remember the book of Ephesians. Uh, Sorry if you weren't at the workshop this week to study the whole book. Uh, The first three chapters are mostly doctrinal truths. And the second half, Paul gets very specific with some duties. And chapter 4 begins this. That's where our passage is found. Chapter 4 started with this declaration. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, no longer the prince of the power of the air, the devil, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We've received a calling, the call of the gospel. The Holy Spirit has drawn us to Christ. And by the power of the gospel, we may now live uprightly and obey all the commands that are about to follow. Paul talks about this powerful gospel back in chapter 1. Let's take a look. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. As Paul begins most of his letters with praise, he also talked about the means 
of our conversion. How it is that we can walk away from futile thinking and living by the power of the gospel. So chapter 1, he put that out, jumping into the middle of his argument, verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. There's the calling. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And he continues in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. How can we turn away from futile thinking? The power of the gospel. The same power that raised Christ from the dead has called you from darkness into the light. So don't walk in the darkness anymore. That's what he's saying. And when he gets to the practical applications of that truth from chapter 1, the implications are listed out in the paragraphs we have before us. We need to walk uprightly. We need to walk in the light of the word. So after talking about the, uh, the Gentiles, uh, he points us towards the word of God. You haven't learned Christ that way, verse 20 and 21. What does it mean to walk in the light of the word? We've received our calling. We, we, we need to go forward, so how do we go forward? Well, chapter 4 reminds us that God has provided his word. Earlier in verse 12, he mentioned that apostles and prophets and pastor teachers were given, teachers were given to the church. Why were apostles, prophets, and pastors, teachers, shepherd teachers given to the church? Do you see it in chapter 4, verse 12? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Or in verse 15, Paul had talked about uh, the work that goes on in the church. He said, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So, Walking in the light of the word, having the word ministered to us by those given to the church. And this is where appreciation for preaching comes. God gives you teachers and preachers, whether in the pulpit or just in your life, maybe a mature believer who comes alongside you or in your Bible study group. God ministers his word through his servants to you. Walk in the light of that word. And if I were preaching this same sermon to the preachers, as I will next week, I'll be telling them of their duties to speak that word. They want to see their church grow. They want to see their people conquer their temptations and sins. Preach the word. You're not all the preachers. So I'm just exhorting you, receive the ministry of the word, and minister it one to another. Walk in the light of his word. We sang, thy word is a lamp to my feet. Psalm 119, verse 105. But do you remember we started the service with Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect. As the psalmist celebrated the law of God, didn't he not only say the, the word of God is great, he had a, the Hebrew poetry has a couplet he says something beautiful about God's word, but then 
He talks about the rubber meeting the road, how it's going to help you. Listen, just listen. These couplets from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Word of fact. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Making wise those who once thought pretty silly stuff. The precepts of the Lord are right, he continues, rejoicing the heart. Do you see the connection between the word of God and the life of the believer? The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and more righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. God's word is not simply beautiful, but it is the means to help us change and to walk in true righteousness, walk in the light of the word. Back to Ephesians 4, as we're talking about how we should walk and and doing so with appreciation for the ministry of God's word, we want to focus on what is added here in verses 20 through 24. Live as one in union with Christ, verses 20 through 24. Paul begins this new section with the word but, that negating conjunction. Okay, he says, walk away from that, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. That's, that's what we've just been saying. But what he adds here is that We've not only heard the truth and been saved, but we are created anew in Christ. We've heard the truth. We went back to Ephesians 1, how uh, when we heard it, we believed and, and God worked our salvation. That pattern of hearing the truth and being saved worked between Paul and Timothy. You remember Timothy, right? What do we know about Timothy? Uh, well, his dad was a Greek. Gentile. They were kind of talking about leaving Gentile or worldly ways. Did Paul ever give Timothy some advice? He was saved, of course. What advice did he give? Well, let me just tell you in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you probably know where I'm going. 2 Timothy 3, he breaks in not only praising Timothy for uh, his mother and grandmother who taught him God's word. 2 Timothy 3, beginning verse 14. But as for you, Tim, the former Gentile, now a Christian, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able, the word able talks about ability, Acquainted with the sacred writing scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Indeed, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word. You've heard the truth, stay with the truth. It saves you, it secures you, it will equip you and it does that as we are united in Christ do you notice how these verses back in Ephesians 4 20 21 22 um, we'll get to put off and put on in a minute 
Um, you are created anew in Christ. Look at the language, the prepositions in this section. Um, you have learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him to put off and put on. Uh, verse uh, 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. That's Jesus in true righteousness and holiness. There is a union here with Christ. One of the themes, and again, we're, we're drawing on almost the whole book of Ephesians. If you've read it, you will remember this. The whole book is filled more than any other epistle with the words, in Christ, in Christ, through Christ, by Christ. All those prepositions talking about how we're connected with Christ in him. What does that mean? It means we're in the body of Christ. The parallels to this letter of Ephesians in Colossians make that even more explicit. Colossians 2 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and establish in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. It is the doctrine of union with Christ. How do you know you're a believer? We use that language, I have Jesus in my heart. I have Jesus as my Lord. It's not just the, the legal forensic relationship or the experience emotional relationship. It is a true spiritual union with Christ by which we are saved. We're robed in his righteousness and in him we can understand the word of God. We can put off our old way of life and put on a new way of life. So this second heading as these verses get to put off and put on tell us that we are called in Christ to true righteous and holy living. That's part of our call. Chapter 4 talked about the call. Chapter 1 talked about the call. Paul's using language of walk this new way. And he says put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life. It is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We once imagined we were right with God. We once imagined we knew what was best. We once imagined what would satisfy my desires. God made us with desires, but I know best how to satisfy them. The futile way of thinking does not lead to true righteousness. Maybe self-righteousness. But it led the Gentiles not to purity, but to impurity. Not to be tender-hearted, but to be callous. Put that off so that you can put these things on which are fitting for those who walk with Christ. I think it's interesting. You wonder why we have such a large passage before us today. Well, I think it's helpful to cover a lot of ground. But the following passage, the next large section, beginning verse 17, explains our new attire. When it says, the commandment says to put on, and and it points us towards uh, true righteousness, this next section, beginning, excuse me, in verse 25, describes that new attire. 
And it describes us as wearing it as we live with grace with one another. This last paragraph will talk a lot about what that looks like and the fact that we are wearing that attire together. And rather than break down each of these verses, which could take several minutes each, let's gather them together. Because starting in verse 25, uh, Paul gives us several handles and, and descriptive. Listen, for instance, for some body parts. I'll read through it once, but listen to the how we might gather together all these commands. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, that's the putting off, let each of you, this is the putting on, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That's the putting off and the putting on. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. So I see verses 25 to the end just describing the putting on, and some putting off is mixed in. When he says, don't steal, he tells us what the positive looks like. So as you're picking out each piece of your attire, you, you can see why there's all these commands. It's not just a checklist. He's pointing to the consistency of being new in Christ, being united with Christ, and called to live with one another in grace because of Christ. So I would group all these commands under three headings. Walk with a new mouth alongside one another. Walk with a new mouth alongside one another. And the next one's going to be walk with new hands. And the final one is going to be walk with a new heart. Because I think that's one great way to summarize this body of commands, this new wardrobe that we're given. Why do I say mouth? Well, the first thing Paul brings up in verse 25 is, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. If you're going to put on the new self, your mouth is where it's going to show first. That's part of my testimony. By God's grace, a young teenage Christian Stop snapping and picking at my mom. Snapping back those little cutting remarks. I even eventually backed off snipping with my sister. That's all you got to say? And, and they could see some change. The change began with my mouth. Here Paul's very explicit because he's talking to believers in Ephesus in the church and to us gathered in this church. Use this new mouth, speak the truth one to another. Well, why would he focus on speaking the truth? Why well, we've seen throughout the whole passage, the previous paragraph, the truth is all important. The truth of God's word. Speak with a Christian worldview. Speak with a Christian mind, having meditated on God's word. Give each other advice, not just based on what you heard or a meme you saw on social media. Speak the truth of God one to another, and that will build others and help them to put off and put on. 
So verses 25, 26 make references to our mouth. Be angry. That's a reference to what comes out of your mouth. Verse 27, do you see it there? And give no opportunity to the devil verbally. In many words, you'll trip yourself up and uh, begin twisting the truth. Why does it connect to the devil when he's talking about your mouth? What's another name for the devil? The father of lies. So you start getting fast and loose with your mouth. That's not the way the, the new Christian should live and behave. And then verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. He doesn't want you to say something corrupting. And maybe it could be something that's true, but it tears down someone. <laughs> you're really fat. You really are a pastor? Oh, you, your grammar's horrible. You're a pastor? It could be true. But he says it's not edifying. Don't let yourself off the hook by thinking, oh, I don't swear, I don't tell dirty jokes, I don't make fun of people in the office or in the grocery store. There's an application here for us. So it has to do with the mouth. Speak to build up, speak to edify, speak consistent with the truth the calling, the walk. We're supposed to be walking. That second metaphor, hands. Do we see hands? It, it's kind of explicit, isn't it? And maybe you let yourself off the hook because you're not a thief. Verse 28, uh, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Uh, you know, we're not just talking about pilfering or pickpocketing. True confession, as a kid, I saw a movie about pickpockets, a young child, and I thought, oh, that's really cool to be so sneaky. And I even set up my coat and I tried to practice. I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And, and it's glamorized in the movie. Paul's not just talking about a life of crime. He's talking about what do you labor for? Maybe you're a salesman, or maybe you're an accountant, or maybe you're a manufacturer and do some craft with your hands. It, it, it's a metaphor, people, for how you spend your energies and make your living and, and, and be productive with the work week. Do you apply your resources and skills to take advantage of anyone? Or are you focused on doing your best to gather the resources you need to feed your family and to have something to share? It's a comment about productivity and purpose. Walk with new hands. Walk with a new heart. Verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that heart language? The Holy Spirit is a person, but he, as the Godhead, the third member of the Trinity, doesn't have a physical heart. But the analogies help us understand that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be disappointed with what we do. With what is in our heart. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Is it possible that after saying that in verse 30, verse 31 might give us some clues? Notice how verse 31 is a little different in this text. It's crammed with several things that talk about sins of the heart. A crooked heart. A self-centered heart. Not a spirit-centered heart. 
bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. What is clamor? I want my way. Slander. It doesn't start with the tongue, by the way. Where does slander start? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Malice. You don't just squint your eyes with malice at someone. It starts in the heart. And that's the throne room of God's presence with us, isn't it? In the inner man, the Holy Spirit's there saying, Whoa, Christian, don't go there. Don't think that way. Don't feel that way. You're made new. Let the truth of God's word guide you. Remember the verse, the heart of a sinful man is wicked. But the heart of the Christian will be led in new directions. The heart of stone is replaced with the heart of flesh. Live with a new heart. In verse 32, certainly is the capstone not only for a new heart, but this this whole paragraph about living by grace. Be kind to one another. That starts in the heart. Tender-hearted, forgiving. It should extend with forgiveness. It should extend with grace. That's why I'm calling this paragraph, live with one another in grace. Because God treated you with grace. God extended grace to you. When your mouth was still foul, when your heart was self-centered, when your hands served your own pleasures, God showed you grace. This is all a, a Christian worldview. Let me give you a couple of applications, closing exhortations, uh, and it should be clear by now. Number one, the key here is the role of truth. The key here is the word of God, the Bible. Christianity isn't just an ethical mindset. It isn't just a lifestyle that you pick up by hanging out at church. We are people of the book, and where God's word is absent, that gathering will not please God where we try to live just by what we think Jesus would like. If all we do is speculate WWJD, well, we might get it wrong. Maybe you've heard someone say that. Oh, my God would never stop someone from loving who they want to love. Oh, my God would never punish someone unfairly. And and, and you know how people pontificate. Without the word, we can't find our way. We can't pursue true righteousness. We might concoct our own righteousness. Isn't that where the Pharisees went went astray? I think Jesus said something to them like, uh, uh, you think you, you know the scriptures, but you don't. If you did, you'd know me. Instead, you religious legalists are caught up in the traditions of men. So the key role in living the Christian life and pursuing the life that pleases God is the word of God because it starts in the mind that fuels and guides the heart. How do you know where to step? Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word has the power to change us. That's the key. And I hammer away at that. That's not the first time. That's not the second time. That's not the 50th time. That's not even the 100th time I've said that from this pulpit. I hope in my ministry here for coming up on three decades, 
is that this book matters. And it breaks my heart that some people are professing Christians and don't read their Bibles. But you don't give an account to me. And I'm not just talking about grabbing a verse. I'm talking about do we read it? Do we know it? Do we understand its content? I'm I'm convicted. Every time I go to a Simeon Trust workshop, and it's not a conference, it's a workshop, you bring your homework. Here's Dave Bissett's homework. This is what I did with a passage that was assigned to me, and they look at me. Oh, you didn't see the connections to the book of Job? Oh, you didn't see the connections with that theme from Hosea? Uh, Pastors sometimes don't know their Bible well enough, as others. And there's a process. But we come to remind ourselves we can't coast. We have to know this book. You can't live the Christian life and be pleasing to God without spending time in his word. I'm not going to define what that is for you so that you can just reach a threshold. But love your Bible, read your Bible, know your Bible. And next Thursday, about 3 o'clock, I'm going to preach to 90 men. Preach the Bible. Preach the Bible. The church, these gifted people, God gave his word to the church. All the gifts, the fruit of the apostles and pastors and teachers and mature Christians is best found here. And if you want to be around with those who speak words to edify, this is the place to be. Final exhortation is this. Our hope is forgiveness and redemption in Christ. It's not just the Christian ethic or knowledge from the Bible but what God has done as God in Christ forgave you, you can do this. As God taught you the truth in Christ, you can do this. As God has given you grace in Christ, you can do this. Because we do not walk each day saying, oh, I'm, I'm a Gentile from Wisconsin or wherever you're from. We don't say I'm a Mac or a PC, that's just a TV ad, but we do say, I am in Christ, and I will walk in the light of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this day for these things from your word, not just from Ephesians 4, but throughout your word. Your spirit, Lord, is teaching and at work in every hearer right now. For your spirit is truly our counselor, our guide. He will bring conviction. Your spirit will show us truth and confirm to our hearts the veracity of your word. So Father, this very moment as your Holy Spirit is speaking, bring conviction to those who are in Christ. Remind us of our calling. May we see more clearly what we must turn from and turn toward. And Father, if anyone is still apart from Christ, may they see here the opportunity to hear the call and to be joined with Christ, to have a hope, to receive forgiveness and a light to travel to heaven. 
Father, we pray that you would do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine as you've promised to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.